We're trying, we're trying to summarize each mark with three words. I hope you caught that pattern. Uh, I'll try to make it very clear and deliberate. Mark number one uh, was it is a, a supreme and incomparable love for Christ. A supreme and incomparable love for Christ. We summarized it this way. What three words? Does anybody recall, remember? Did you write them down? Love Christ best. A few of you. Way to be tracking. Three words. Love Christ best. And the Lord Jesus really said this. In Matthew, do a little comparison. In the book of Luke, do a little contrast. And what should result is that we should be loving Christ more than we love anything or anyone. We talk about the fact that when we do this, everybody wins. Nobody misses out. If I'm loving Christ the way I'm supposed to, my wife benefits, my children benefit, you benefit, we all benefit. It's win-win, it's not either or. Loving Christ with a supreme and incomparable love. Last night we talked about what it says in John 8, 31 and 32. The fact that if we want to be his disciples, we must stay, remain, continue, abide, have our roots down deep in the soil of Scripture. And when we do, there are three results. We're disciples indeed, number one. We will know the truth, number two. And that truth will set us free, number three. We looked at a passage in Hebrews last night that gave us that same pattern as time passes by. And we asked you, what's your number? How many years have you known the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? As time passes by, if we do what we are supposed to do with this book, if we spend time in it, practicing over and over and over and over and over and over what it says, there are numerous payoffs we saw last night as well. One of them, solid food. We get to partake of the good stuff, solid food. A second, we're at home with, accustomed to, used to, familiar with the word of righteousness. A third, we can tell the difference between what is right and what is wrong as we continue, stay, remain, abide in this book. Hebrews chapter 5, 11 14, we looked at last night. This evening, for the next few moments, we're going to look at Mark number 3. Mark number 3, and you'll notice in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, there are three characteristics or marks, the next three, the triad in the middle of the seventh. We've looked at two, Love Christ Best, read that book. We'll look at the last two on Saturday. And then in between the next few nights, we're going to look at these three. These three, they're all found in the same verse. And I will admit to you, and you'll recognize that they sound very similar. And they do overlap in concept, but we'll try to make some distinctions as well. So we're looking at Mark number 3. Mark number 3, but here are 3, 4, and 5, found in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus says this, anyone wishing to come after me, anyone wishing to come after me, must deny himself, Mark number 3, must take up his cross daily. Luke's the one who says daily. Every day we're supposed to take up our cross. Must take up his cross daily. That's Mark number four. Mark number five, and follow me. And follow me. I would encourage you the next several days, the next day and a half or two, to ask yourself this question. What are those three commands, instructions, that the 
Lord Jesus Christ himself say, uh, said were necessary for us to be those who come after him, to be his disciples, to be worthy of him, what do you think those things mean? What does it mean to deny yourself? Mark number three, a renunciation of self as the authority of attention and focus in one's life. We're on mark number three. What does it mean to deny oneself? Tomorrow we'll look at marks number four and five. For this evening, that simple phrase that the Lord Jesus says, we must do if we want to be a disciple of His. Deny oneself. Must deny oneself. Let's ask for God's help as we consider that all-important phrase. Father, help us. Help us, I pray, to think about what uh, your Son, the Lord Jesus, meant when He said, if we want to come after Him, if we want to be His disciples, those who have made a decision to be trained by the Lord Jesus, to learn from Him, and to learn from others who are imparting the truth that He has imparted. Father, help us to think about what it means for us to deny ourselves, May we realize that there's a battle going on right now. A battle that we, we face daily. And how important it is for us to understand our position in Christ in order to have victory in regards to the battle with self. So help us, we pray now. Guide our thoughts, take away distractions, and teach us whatever it is you would want us to learn. We ask and pray these things. There's a fight coming up at the end of August. Have you heard anything about it? Anyone? Anyone? There's a, I don't even know if we should call it a fight. It's a marketing scheme, no doubt. But, but uh, Mayweather and McGregor are, are getting together and doing some kind of uh, a battle of sorts. Not classic boxing, uh, to say the least. Anybody a fan of boxing back in the day when uh, it was a popular sport? Boxing is a, a great sport. Maybe you've seen, maybe you've seen some of the Rocky movies. Anyone ever seen one of uh, the several Rockies? Maybe you can picture in your mind's eye tonight a boxing ring, and, and magically this this microphone drops from nowhere, and it's large, and someone steps up to the mic and, and introduces those who are opposing one another. You familiar with this exercise? And he'll walk up to the microphone and say, ladies and gentlemen, in this corner, standing six feet two inches tall, weighing 220 pounds, wearing the American flag trunks, Apollo 3. And in this corner, ladies and gentlemen, standing five foot eight inches tall, weighing 177, wearing the gold trunks from Philadelphia, PA, the Italian stallion. And they fight. They fight. Can you picture the scene? Where the fighters, the boxers, are announced. And we understand clearly who indeed is in opposition with one another. There's battles that are taking place all around us. Some in the spiritual realm uh, that we're well aware of that are described for us in the book of Ephesians. I remember when I was in youth ministry and we were watching one of those typical Christian movies that were 
They're getting better. They're getting better. They're still lacking, but they're getting better. This one, this one was entitled, seriously, it was entitled Invisible Enemies. Invisible Enemies. And what, what the plot was all about, my friends, is this. There were these magical glasses or spectacles that someone, when they put them on, could see spiritual warfare that's taking place all around. Ridiculous, right? But a concept that is legit for us to be aware of, that there are, there indeed is warfare that is taking place in the heavenlies. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Described for us in Ephesians. In Galatians, there's another battle that is clearly described that we contend with uh, as much, if not more, than the battle of Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I invite you just for a moment or two uh, to turn to Galatians chapter 5. And imagine a microphone being dropped this evening in the middle of uh, this room as the announcers, the boxers are announced. The competitors are announced. Verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5. This battle, my friends, for believers is raging every day, all day. It doesn't stop. Verse 16 of chapter, uh, verse 16 of chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh has its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Ladies and gentlemen, in this corner, we have the flesh. The flesh. Longing to produce the works of the flesh. What we want in and of our sin nature and in and of our selfishness. For a lost person, this is all that they can do. But for a believer, we can be aware of the battle, recognize we already have victory, and learn how to live victorious in that victory that Christ has won. But in this corner, we have the flesh, our selfishness and sin nature, longing to still produce in us what we want, the works of the flesh. In this corner, ladies and gentlemen, we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it doesn't amaze you at all to know that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence within every one of us. And in every believer, He resides and dwells and lives. The Holy Spirit, who is God, lives in us. Is that not an amazing concept? And daily, daily, the flesh and the Spirit are battling they're in opposition with one another. Chuck Swindoll has said this, and I believe it to be true, that most believers do not regularly live a victorious Christian life. Most believers don't regularly live a victorious Christian life where the Spirit is producing fruit more than the flesh is producing works. If you had to evaluate today, who won today? Were more works of the flesh produced today 
The golf course is excluded from this exam. <laughs> it's a sin-free zone. In our lives today, who won? What was produced more? The works of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit? And then the rest is Galatians, and we'll just look, look at it carefully, and quickly rather, not very carefully. We see the opponents described and the products described as well of it further. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Here they are categorically, categorically, the deeds of the flesh. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It either means these people are, are not believers, not believers, and as a result, they will not experience the kingdom of God. Or he's warning these believers that this is not how we are supposed to live. I think the latter is true. This should not be the lifestyle, the normal pattern of how a believer lives. And if it is, that's a reality for an unbeliever. And they will not inherit the kingdom of God. This isn't talking about the loss of any salvation. This is not talking about... Uh, a believer who struggles from time to time, not entering glory. This is talking about a way of life. A way of life. But it shouldn't describe us. But we still have the flesh and we still have the sin nature. But we also have the Holy Spirit who is in opposition with the flesh. And the fruit of the Spirit are listed in verse 22 and following. I know you're tempted, but don't sing as I read. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? What's the word? Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, we've been told in this passage to, to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. Here we're encouraged to live by the Spirit. Let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Galatians chapter 5, my friends. We've turned here for one reason. To realize the battle that is before us. The opponents and the battle that is real daily for a believer. The flesh versus the spirit. How do we win over sin and the flesh? What is your strategy? I don't want you to yell it out right now, but I want to ask you. As a believer, how is it that you go about living a victorious Christian life in regards to the battle that rages between our flesh and the Holy Spirit. How can we be victorious on a regular, daily basis? Do you have
have a game plan? Do you have a strategy in regards to this battle? In regards to this battle. How do we win over sin as a believer? Romans chapter 6, for just a few moments together. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, quickly. I'd like to share with you three words, three words that, that summarize this all-important passage. Really, Romans 6 is a great summary of how to go about the Christian life. There are three words that are, are emphasized in this passage, just so you're not confused. This is not the three-word summary of Mark number 3. But there are three words that summarize this passage. I'll give them to you now. There's a chunk of your passage, a section of your packet under mark number three, a renunciation of self. And this would be a good place to write these uh, passages and words down. I'm trying to help. Romans chapter 6, 1 through 14. Here are the three words. The first is this. It's mentioned in verse 3. It's mentioned in verse 6. It's mentioned in verse 9. It has absolutely everything to do with what we think in our brains. What we think in our brains, intellectually, cognitively, about the reality of who we now are in Christ. Who we now are in Christ. Our standing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I took a class in seminary entitled, creative title, it was entitled The Spiritual Life. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, Dr. Bill Lawrence was my instructor. And we spent a lot of time in this passage. And he made this statement over and over and over and over and over and over again, such to the extent that I remember it, and I'll say it to you a few times as well. He made this statement. We should not live like we used to be because we are not who we used to be. Let me say it to you again. We should not live like we used to be because we are not who we used to be. In Christ, drastic and radical change has occurred. Amen? We have crossed and passed from death unto life. The old is gone. The new has come. We should no longer live like we used to be because we are not who we used to be. There was a concept that was a wrong concept to consider, but nonetheless, it was being considered, it was simply this. On your own, check out the end of chapter 5, which leads us into chapter 6, verse 1. People were concluding this, that, that when we sin, there is grace. So let's keep sinning, so there would be more grace. I mentioned we're going through the book of Jude with your high schoolers, the teens, and the false teachers, the apostates, are described as people who take the grace of God and twist it and turn it into licentiousness. Saying that the grace of God gives us permission, license to sin. The same sort of thought was being mentioned here. God's gracious. He will forgive us. And when we sin, there can be more grace. So let's keep on sinning so grace can superabound. And so what does Paul say about that? Great idea. I never thought of it. He says as strongly as he can, no way. God forbid it. Meganoita, right? God forbid it. May it never be that we should ever think that way. And then 
therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into his death. We know physically that didn't happen, but we know spiritually it most certainly did. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Water baptism is a great picture of spirit baptism that happens when we're saved. Water baptism happens after we're saved, telling people that we are. And then we want to obey and follow. I remember some baptisms the last several years here. You remember some of those? Some of our young folks saying, you know what? I trusted in Christ years ago. But I want everybody to know in a very special place that I know Him, that I want to obey Him, and I want to follow Him the rest of my days. That's a great picture of what happened when they got saved. Spirit baptism. What a radical, wonderful change occurred. And Paul says, don't you ever forget it? Or do you not know? Or do you not know? For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, verse 5, Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. If we join with him in his death, we've done so as well, united with him in his resurrection. New life is our reality in Christ as we have been joined and united with him. Woo. Verse 6, he says this, knowing this, knowing this. Again, the cognitive, making sure we have the truth of who we are in Christ straighten our thinking. If we're going to win over sin, if we're going to have more victory than loss, we have to remember who we are in Christ. I can't do this on my own. You can't do this on your own. But we have the indwelling spirit, and we have these promises that are precious. Peter, Peter tells us we've been given everything we need for a godly life right now. Right now, we have all we need for life and God. Often we forget about who we are and what we have in Christ. And so he says in verse 6, knowing this, I love this, Woo, watch this, knowing this, that our old self was what? What happened to our old self? Who we were in Adam when we were totally and completely depraved and enslaved and owned by sin. It was our master. It controlled us. And that's all that we were. What happened to the old man, the old self? Knowing this, that our old self was what? Crucified with him. Did you see that in Galatians, by the way? Crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be what? Slaves to sin. If we are in Christ, if we have trusted in him, theologically, and positionally, we have been set free from sin. Do you believe that? You know, one of my fears is this. One of my fears is this. What we, that we really don't take sin seriously. That we really don't view sin the way God views sin. And so as believers, we're pretty comfortable and casual with the concept of sin. And we aren't willing to recognize and acknowledge that we are allowing, allowing our flesh to rule and reign. We don't have to because we're dead to sin and we have been freed from sin. That's who we are positionally, practically, theologically. And Paul says, don't forget it. Get it straight in your brain. No, no, no. We are free. For he, for he 
Cloud knew this man well. His name was Paul Sapp. A giant of some others know, knew Paul Sapp. A giant of a man, 6'4", 6'5", 350 pounds. I'm not kidding you. A beast of a man who had a voice that did not fit his body. Very high pitched, and he used to say to me, Jonathan! That's troubling and hard for me to say, so I won't do it any longer to speak that way. So imagine me saying this in a high-pitched voice. He would say, Jonathan, pray this. Ask God to, here it is, write this down. Pray this with your families and your spouses. God, help me, help us to hate sin and love you more. <coughs> to hate sin and love you more. It's embarrassing how comfortable and how casual and how close we are to sin and are unwilling to call sin, sin. We're free from it. We're dead to it. And Paul says, don't ever forget who you are ever. You shouldn't live like you used to be because you're not who you used to be. Verse 9. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing, there's the third no, my friends, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, do we believe that happened? That sets us apart as a unique faith, that we have a Savior that died, was buried, and rose again. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. Know that to be true of Christ, and we have been united together with Him through faith in Him. Co-crucified with Christ, so that is the reality for us as well. Do we still struggle? Yes. If you're saying no, you're proving that we still struggle, as you lie. We still struggle. I do and you do, but that doesn't mean we, we have to. We, we must remember, and Paul's desperately trying to get the believer to remember our position in Christ. Get it straight in your minds first. And then he says this. For the death that he died, the Lord Jesus, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, here it is. He lives to God. And that can be our reality as we are united with him. Second word. Second word is the word consider. Some of your translations will say reckon. Reckon. I reckon it to be true, or I consider it to be true. The word reckon or consider, as seen in verse 11, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That moves from the intellectual to the personal and the emotional, the recognition that that is actually true of me. And so I will reckon it to be true, and I will live in light of it. It's not just the cognitive, the facts, the facts, the facts, the knowing, the knowing, the knowing. It is a reality that is personally true of me. And so I will consider myself to be this kind of person. What kind of person? We are dead to sin and alive to God. We are free. Are we living like that? Are we living like that? I'm going to tell you a story and you're going to say there's no way that story is true. So I'm going to tell you where to find the story. If you would read a book entitled The Grace of Awakening by Chuck Swindoll, you will read a story that is quoting J. Vernon McGee, excuse me, 
J. Bernie McGee, telling the story uh, this particular way. There was a woman who was married to a guy named John. And John tragically and unexpectedly died. But she did not want to accept that reality and did not want to deal with that reality. So instead, seriously, she had her dead husband, John, embalmed and put in a plastic case and kept in her own. That's not right, friends. But she did so. She did not want to accept the fact that John was dead. True story, reading, Grace Awakening, J. Bernie McGee, Romans chapter 6. This woman went on a European getaway, and while she was there, fell madly in love and married. Seriously, right? They came back to the States, and her new husband wanted to carry her across and through the threshold of their now home. And as this occasion took place, new husband met old husband John for the first time. That's wrong. <laughs> and new husband recognized and believed it and dealt with it that way. You're saying no way is that story true. I'm saying to you, check the source. But I'm also saying to you this, we live like that all the time. We are dead to sin. It no longer has any ownership over us. Paul concludes this section by proving that and says, listen, it is all about the presentation. It's all about the presentation. We as believers are battling every day the flesh versus the spirit. And the question for us is this. Who are we going to present ourselves to? Sin, our flesh, or the spirit, God? Listen to what he says. Therefore, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its lust. You know what he's really saying in verse 12? At a few minutes before 8, if you wonder. He's saying this. Stop doing that. You're doing that. And you're choosing to do that. You are allowing this to happen. And you need to quit it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop saying to sin, here I am. I'm free from you. I am dead to you. I no longer have any, you no longer have any rights over me, but I keep going back to you as if this change hasn't occurred. And so he says, stop it. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it. You are letting it reign in your mortal body. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Why? So that you obey its lust. We don't have to. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Can you imagine us cognitively and intellectually going up to sin represented by this empty chair and saying to sin, Hello. I am going to today present myself and my body to you so you can have your way in my life. I don't have to let you, but I'm choosing to let you. 
And so here I am saying to you, sin, go ahead and rule and reign in my body today. It's all about the presentation. And so Paul says, would you please quit it? Would you please stop doing that? Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lust. And do not go presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. The members of our body are the means by which sin is accomplished and unrighteousness is produced. Our minds, our bodies, the things we see and things say and do. But, he says in verse 13, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. What a great reminder of who we are in Christ. You see, we should live like we used to be because we are not who we used to be. Who are we now? Did you hear that phrase? That should cause some kind of response. There should be a spiritual pulse when you hear this, that we are those who are alive from the dead. Isn't that, isn't that fantastic news? We're alive from the dead. We are new creatures in Christ, born again. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Imagine God represented by this empty chair. And we come to God and say, here I am today. Here I am today. I'm going to be a living sacrifice today. I understand how gracious and how kind you have been to me. I understand how blessed indeed I am. I understand who I am in Christ. I understand what happened when I trusted in Christ as my Savior and the radical change that took place. So today, moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, if we must, I'm saying to you, God, have your way, and may the Holy Spirit who lives in me produce his fruit. Who's going to win? Here's the good news. We already won because of who we are in Christ. So daily, the battle rages for a believer to produce in our lives the work of the flesh what we want, what is selfish, or to say, I will allow the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, He who lives in me, to produce His fruit. Three words can help us remember how to win over sin and have victory in the Christian life. Know, consider, and present. Father, help us, I pray. Help us, I pray, to just say no. To just say no. Three words that summarize, Father, this all-important mark of a disciple. That we are to deny ourselves. We are to just say no and to remember theologically, cognitively, intellectually, our standing in Christ, who we now are, the wonderful and radical change that occurred. Father, help us not to just think about that as facts that are true, but may we consider and reckon that to be true personally and emotionally. And may we volitionally then, as a choice, present ourselves to you as opposed to presenting ourselves to sin, who no longer has any right or ownership over us. Father, help us to remember who we are now 
And may it be that we don't live like we used to be because we are not who we used to be. Father, as we observe one another living and walking and abiding and, and being led and walking in the Spirit, obeying, Father, may we see in each other the fruit of the Spirit being produced. And may that be of encouragement. And may we spur one another on to remember we have victory already in Christ. And so may we not present ourselves to sin in the flesh. Help us to realize that we can win over sin because of who you are and what you have done in and through the Savior. And help us, Father, to know, consider, and present, and just say no. In Jesus' name we pray.